Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is C.M. Alexander with the news. This morning, Dairy police discovered an abandoned windowless white van on the side of the road. Found in the back were a child's torn clothes, handcuffs, and chloroform. In the driver's seat was a man with his throat ripped to shreds and face frozen in terror of what he'd last laid his eyes on. Local Dairy Police Chief had this to say. Good. You are listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And joining us via Zoom, writer and director of the national award-winning short films and documentaries. He is currently working in production with Academy Award-winning producer Andrew Carlberg on a short film, North Star, starring Kevin Bacon. We, however, discovered him from his Stephen King dollar baby, Popsy. Please welcome to the show, John Mann. John, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. How's it going? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for making the time to talk to us. Oh, God. Of course. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Before we can start the interview proper, uh, as you may have heard, CM has to guard the rest of the interview with her life with our first few questions. So I just want to make sure you're well prepared, get yourself centered, and then I'm going to throw it over to CM. That's, you can relax. It's not really that big a deal. Okay, let me just take a few deep breaths. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you answer wrong, all that's going to happen is that I'm going to change all of the questions after that to questions you have no idea are coming. It's like a choose your own adventure based on if I'm right or wrong in these first <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. answer, answer me these riddles three kind of First question, what was your introduction to Stephen King's work? I was about 11 and my mom gave me The Shining for Christmas and I had just a really, I mean, it sounds funny. I was going to say like I had a great experience reading that book, which I did. <laughs> But um, what I mean by that is that I had a teacher in middle school who I would get caught reading The Shining in class, <laughs> and she'd always give me the side eye, side eye, like looking under my desk thing. And this was before cell phones, so like it wasn't. It was either I was reading or like writing a note to someone in class or whatever. And she kept catching me, and she kicked me out of class and put me in the hallway. She came out about five minutes later and was like, I can't get mad at you for reading. I would just rather, I would rather you do it out here. And she brought me my book out in the hallway. And that's how I finished the shining in grade six or seven. And then I followed that up with it. And I read those two books in a year as like a middle schooler right around the age of all the kids in it and fell in love with just how writing could be cool. And Stephen King did that for me. Especially it with all the kids in Derry reminded me a lot of the neighborhood that I grew up in. And we were just always chucking along on our bikes and stuff like that. And just reminded me of us a lot and getting into good trouble and all those kind of like summertime friendship type things. And, um, but yeah, my mom is a massive reader, massive movie watcher. And she, she really introduced me to him and continues to this day. We were having a conversation earlier about The Outsider and whether we like the book or the HBO series more. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I got to give all the credit in the world to my mom for introducing me to Mr. King. That is a good mom. 
Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Have you gone back and revisited The Shining or It as an adult? I've read It since. When, when the movie was coming out, the original, like, chapter one, what was that, like, 2017, 2016? I reread the book in anticipation of the film, and it was better than I remembered. And just hit different as a 27-year-old than it did as a 12-year-old. I don't have to tell you guys, there's so much shock value in that novel. But as an 11-year-old, there's some shit that's like, (laughs) it's like, you can say that? Like, kids can (laughs) whatever. Like, (laughs) uh, And then as a 27-year-old, it's like, you really start to appreciate the writing even Mm -hmm. more. And I've been a writer now for nine years or so. And just starting to really understand like how genius, are we allowed to swear? Yeah. On oh, yeah. here, how fucking genius Stephen King is. <laughs> that is what I really discovered. And like, I mean, it's not like I hadn't read any other books in those sixteen years between it and then revisiting it as a twenty-seven-year-old. That to me, I know a lot of people talk about the stand as being his kind of like crescendo or his bible or whatever. But I would put my money and my name on it being his mm-hmm. his masterpiece. That's awesome. I I've read it three times and listened to the audiobook once. And I read it first as a teenager, which for lucky you read these things as teenagers first. Mm-hmm. And I remember nothing. I, I'm sure I did not get a lot of things, but nothing stood out to me as being really weird until I was an adult and I revisited the sewer scene. It's like, oh, that's not okay. <laughs> but as a kid, yeah, you're like, yep, that might happen. That's everybody talks about, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Probably for the best that it wasn't in the film adaptation right. <laughs> by Muschietti. But um, that honestly, that <laughs> this is weird. That wasn't the one that stood out to me. It was like the scene with the bully and the fridge. Yes. With the yeah. animals oh, that stuck with that's, me. That's worse. And, and also, he's so good at weird sexual tension mm-hmm. and like creepy sexual stuff and if i remember correctly there was a scene with the bully from it and he makes an offer to a buddy of his and i was like yeah man yeah like i just remember being like so it was one of those things it's like i feel like i shouldn't be reading this which is an incredible feeling that a book should give you (laughs) i remember the movie the movie the witch when that trailer dropped from eggers it was like one of the like testimonials or whatever from the new york times or whoever it was was like I feel like it's something I shouldn't be watching. And I was like, man, what a great <laughs> review of a horror movie. Right. Yeah. How it, that's how it made me feel reading it as a kid. I know my mom gave me this book, but now I feel like conflicted and confused. <laughs> yeah, a few things, a few things like that have stuck out from a few of his books, but incredible either way. So I have a feeling that you'll understand what I mean with this next question. Do you have a Stephen King moment from... It could be the one we just talked about, or are there any others from any of his work that have stuck with you, whether or not you want them to? Certainly. Of course, that scene from It with the fridge Mm -hmm. was one that's clearly stuck with me. That was top of mind in your last question. Um, There's another, there's a line from Cujo that really stuck with me. The first chapter of The Outsider, I think, is the creepiest chapter of anything I've ever read. And also in Mr. Mercedes, I think it's he leaves him the first audio tape and he explains how he was preparing to like mow everybody down mm-hmm. with his car and talking about like the fact that he had to wear a condom. Like yeah. that that stuck with me in 
just something that like when you think you've heard it all, mm-hmm. I guess yeah. Stephen King takes it another like eight <laughs> percent past that line of like creepiness factor. Yeah, the body as well. There was a few lines in the body again, getting back to those like coming of age stories. Mm-hmm. There's some lines that he comes up with or like certain lines of dialogue or whatever that just like in five words can nail everything that you're thinking of, but can't put into words. So yeah, there's a few moments. And then a funny one was uh, Rob Ramsey, who is my writing and producing partner and was the lead in Popsy. He was in it chapter two. And funny enough, Rob is not a horror guy at all. (laughs) He told me a funny story that when he landed it chapter two, he went home to tell his wife that he had good news and bad news. And the bad news was that they had to see a horror movie. And the good news was that he was going to be in it chapter two. And I was like, man, like this is huge. This movie is going to be massive. The cast is insane and you're part of it. And then uh, seeing Rob deliver his lines in it chapter two was another like, that's a bit of a stretch. Like it wasn't me holding an original source of Kings, but seeing Rob on screen in it chapter two was another like huge movie moment, huge Stephen King moment for me. I, I'm blown away. I didn't realize he was in it chapter two. Yeah. So he, he plays the orderly nurse who like carries, man, I always slip on the bully's name from it. Is it Henry Bowers? That's in the asylum. That's it. Yeah. Bowers. Yeah. So when Bowers is an adult in it chapter two, Rob is like carrying him to his room and That's amazing. has like four or five lines like stay in your fucking room and then slams the door mm. and then bowers sees his buddy underneath the bed and yeah rob spent two days on that set he had four or five pages with them and he talked about being directed by muschetti and all these things and uh yeah so raw anyway when we opened with popsy at finn in halifax finn film festival it chapter two was playing in the theater next door <laughs> and the joke was always that like rob is only doing stephen king work now <laughs> 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 yeah so that was pretty that was like kind of special i guess is the best way to put it so that i can't even imagine having that experience working with somebody and then seeing them in something that was so important to my childhood right like that that'd be so cool it was wild because rob when he got when he got the part, he messaged me like he's like I think I'm playing like an orderly in a, a mental institution, and I was like, "Yep, Henry Bowers goes there, <laughs> probably blah blah blah." Like I started feeding him his lines, and he was like, "Yeah, man, yeah, yeah." <laughs> he was spot That's on with all these things. Yeah, and then yeah, he um, he was sending me pictures from set, which includes like he gets his throat slashed by Henry Bowers in the film. And he sent me a picture of his prosthetics. And it's like, dude, spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he just kept talking about the security on that film after Mm. all the hype from the first one. And um, he was like, don't ever share these photos. And I was like, I get it. I get it. Like, (laughs) Top secret. It's fine. (laughs) So it seems like Stephen King is currently a huge part of your love of filmmaking and career. Is that what got you started or were there other inspirations that were as instrumental in getting you on this path? I think so. I mean, we always joke like the first film that I saw in theaters was Jurassic Park and I was like two and a half. My mom (laughs) took me to the movies like that came out the summer of 93 and I was born in the fall of 89. So whatever the quick math is on that, (laughs) but always loved movies and had a family that loved movies and loved reading. And I have two older sisters who got me into films earlier than probably I should have seen them kind of thing. Like (laughs) 
again, like a movie like Scream came out in 96 and I was watching that and then DiCaprio and Romeo and Juliet because I had <laughs> sisters who loved DiCaprio. So then I got into his films at a very early age and became obsessed with movies in that way. And then when, again, when I was like 11, 12, 13 DVDs came out and I started watching behind the scenes stuff, like the bonus features on like Perfect Storm and Scream 2 and stuff like that. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, this looks like the f- most fun thing. And I was like, it looks like all my, like my sisters and her friends who I like looked up to and thought were the coolest people, funniest people on earth. And it looks like they're all just kind of hanging out on set when you mm-hmm. see that behind the scenes thing. So from 12, 13, I became pretty obsessed with movies. But growing up in New Brunswick, I never necessarily thought of it as a career. Like Fredericton, New Brunswick is pretty far away from Hollywood. And so I had that like glitter in my eye about the industry, like didn't even think of it as a business, didn't think of it as like jobs for a long time. And then um, during my undergrad, I wasn't super stoked on what I was studying. I graduated political science, which I'm happy that I did now. Mm-hmm. But my mom, my mom, again, really called me out one day. I was like, she was like, well, what do you really want to do? And I was like, well, I love movies. And she was like, great. So do I. like like, do something about it then like kind of like kicked me like lit a fire kind of thing and then after that I was like geez yeah and like I love to write all the like started writing when I was like 12 like little short stories and always did really well in English and poetry classes and every time we had to do a speech in school I always like it was the one thing that I always tried to be the best at (laughs) and then so after Acadia I stuck it out graduated and then I went to the New York Film Academy for screenwriting and that just became a whole new love like I went in there thinking that I knew everything of course (laughs) oh yeah and then after about 22 minutes realized I knew nothing (laughs) yeah and ever since then it's become like something tangible that I can work at and I am starting to learn the business and learn the industry and I'm starting to kind of navigate my way and things did really happen like piece by piece little steps at a time it's awesome like couldn't couldn't be happier with the it's funny to call it a career choice because I don't think it was ever really a choice it was never like a go this way or that way it was just like something that kind of built itself and um here we are and I've been doing it full time now and I love it that's awesome and I, yeah. I I've got to say man I we are we are fans of your work oh geez we yeah. <laughs> you um so our, our listeners uh, John sent us a few shorts in advance, so we got to see Missy, Cahoots, and your uh, web series, Pub Crawl, and I loved all of them. I thought they, they were all beautiful, they were all so oh, well. different, and I just, I thoroughly enjoyed each and every one of them. Well, and I, I did too, but I'm a little bit upset because I do have a dress form in my bedroom. <laughs> That, oh no! That's going to be oh, a problem God. now. Ruined forever. Yeah, yeah. I told her as long as she doesn't put a block of wood on it, she should be fine. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Missy was. Uh, you know what's crazy? We shot Missy and Cahoots in the same weekend. Oh my God! Which is, oh, nice. which is crazy to think about now. It's like, what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's like we were scrappy and excited, mm-hmm. and like we flew Rob out to the East Coast to film. Missy, like Missy was our big kind of darling that we had been working on. And that's a pretty heavy script with heavy subject matter. And it was a long weekend. And Rob arrived, like, let's like, let's say he arrived Thursday night, and we were going to start filming 
Missy on Saturday and Sunday. And we were like, well, we have all day Friday. Is there something that we can like bang out in a day? Because Missy was such heavy, heavy subject matter, we decided to go comedy on the other side. So we did cahoots and we called in a favor with a guy who owned a bar. And we found some local actors who we knew throughout everything. And yeah, we were able to do it. And then it was funny because then I was editing them at the same time. And we were always like, Missy, 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 Missy's great. And it is. And it's awesome. We ended up selling to CBC, which was an amazing opportunity for us. And in the back of my mind, I just kept being like, man, Cahoots might be the one, though. Like, really, <laughs> Cahoots. And it's funny, like, what people have, people who have seen Cahoots, the lines that they bring back to us as their favorite lines. It's like, oh, wow, that was my least favorite joke in the movie, <laughs> but I'm glad you liked it, kind of thing. But yeah, that really put Rob and I, as far as our short films go, like, that, that was definitely a moment of, like, maybe we have something here. And maybe we are, we're not just kicking tires like we are, we're in this and we can write and we can produce. And then when Pub Crawl came around, I don't know when this will air. Hopefully it's after a little while, but we just got renewed for season two of Pub Crawl. Awesome. So yeah, we're filming that the first week of October back in Halifax. We have another list of incredible bars that we're going to. Uh, That is maybe the most fun summer job you could ever have is filming a TV show in bars that you go to with all of your best friends. (laughs) Um, I highly recommend it to anybody who's thinking about possibly making a TV show in a bar. But yeah, thank you so much for those kind words. That's such a nice thing. That's such a nice thing to hear. The word fan is such a heavy thing, but (laughs) Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, also, please tell Rob Ramsey that uh, I'm a fan of his also. Oh, yeah. Um, He's amazing. The dude is incredibly (laughs) versatile. Isn't it? Oh, man. That is something that Rob and I, and I mean, I've known Rob since we met in 2007. Rob and I lived on the same floor in residence during our undergrad. He was like the cool theater kid who in the summers would go back to Toronto and work on Disney shows kind of thing where everybody else would go back. And like, I worked for the city of Fredericton during my undergrad and Rob (laughs) would go and do like Disney and Nickelodeon shows kind of thing. And then he got a, he got uh, blue mountain state, which he was an actor on for three seasons. I wrote something while I was at the New York film Academy and I sent it to Rob because he was a guy that I knew in the industry. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Is this any good? You read scripts. And then that was like 2012. And he was like, yeah, this is great. Do you want to work on it together? And then ever since then, we have been writing, producing. He's hosting Pub Crawl, of course. And uh, we own a company together. And Rob is just like a dear friend. And we have a great working relationship. And <laughs> our professional lives haven't ruined our personal relationship and our personal relationship hasn't ruined our professional relationship. That's awesome. Um, which is great. Yeah. Rob's just a guy that I love to hang out with and love to write with. And I think mm-hmm. that he gets excited about characters that I'm able to write for him. Cause I know him so well. I think that, well, I mean, I know that I get excited over projects that he brings to me too, that we're able to produce together. Yeah. So it all kind of started back on the second floor in Dennis house at Acadia university in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. That's amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. very clear that you guys work so well together, especially finding out that you shot all of Missy and Cahoots in one weekend. Like you can't yeah. you can't work that fast with someone you do not just gel with. 
Yeah, you you gotta yeah, hang on to that guy. You gotta like get knocked up if that's what it takes. <laughs> trap him, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lock that tongue down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think I think we're both in it for the long haul here, as much as we can be. We're both we're both happily married, not to each other. But, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean Rob and I are in it for the long haul. We have a lot of. It, it's funny because it started out as like yeah, we're always working on this one thing. And then a few years into it, it was like, yeah, we're working on two shorts that happened to be Missy and Cahoots. And then uh, we won a National Screen Institute program with a with a pilot that we wrote together that we co-wrote. And now it's like we have like five irons in the fire kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's, um, it's really building and it's really exciting. And uh, it's kind of funny because if you meet Rob and I, we're just both two knuckleheads who like movies kind of thing. <laughs> and we we happen to like the same types of movies and the same types of shows. And we try and write stuff that we would watch, uh, which is important to us. It's tough. Sometimes it doesn't always agree with what the market is looking for necessarily, but we like hold on pretty strongly to our values as far as TV goes and movies go. And um, what has come from that is kind of this like no bullshit attitude and it's worked for us so far. So we're just going to continue down that path together. And it's, I couldn't ask for a better, a better buddy to be doing it with. See, that sounds like a marriage proposal. Yeah. (laughs) True. I'm sure he's listening right now and he's laughing. He's probably (laughs) chirping my East coast accent right now. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about what uh, put you on our radar in the first place. You adapted the short story Popsy into a short film through the Dollar Baby process. For anybody who hasn't read the story, can you summarize it for us? Yeah, certainly. I'll summarize the written work for sure, because it is a little bit different than the adaptation that I did. But basically, it's a guy who has a gambling addiction, and he's kind of given this choice about you can pay your debts financially, which he can't, or you can, he's given a proposal that he can, whoever he owes money to, he can give them a child. So that kind of sets him out on a journey to abduct a child. And without spoiling anything, he kind of chooses the wrong, <laughs> wrong kid to mess with, I yes. guess, is the best way to put yeah. it. I mean, it's not a long short story, and it came out in 1994. So like, if you haven't read it by now, you should. I don't feel bad spoiling anything. But yeah, I guess that's how I would give a synopsis of Popsy. I don't know how you guys would describe it. but Perfect. What made you choose Popsy? It was always brought up by my parents it's funny <laughs> they're terrible <laughs> that's a great they're terrible start <laughs> with names and they're terrible with like they're all they don't they would be like what's that one where at the end the kid says like pops is gonna be mad at you you know pops is gonna be really I'm picturing my parents like talking about this like making dinner kind of thing that's great and then at the end the kid says popsy like that's the big reveal like blah 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 so that ending reveal always stuck with me, which I love. I love a big reveal. And I think if you've seen Cahoots and Missy, like that's important to me when telling a story. So that was always in the back of my mind. And then I heard about the Dollar Baby Club, thought it was folklore. I thought it was bullshit. Like I was like, <laughs> there's no way. Like this is one of those weird Instagram, Twitter memes to get clicks or whatever, clickbait. And then I looked into it. And I was looking for my next thing and I saw that Popsy was available. I wrote a script for it and I sent it in and they were pretty quick to respond. And it was literally like, if you send us a dollar, this is yours for the year. Uh, I don't know 
how many people applied for Popsy that year, but they seemed to enjoy what I had presented them as my adaptation. And yeah, that's how it came to be. It was all pretty quick. And then all of a sudden, that was the next project. Popsy has such a beautifully claustrophobic visual style. It's mostly told in the van, but even the stuff that's outside the van has that tight, oppressive feel. Was that the style you had it planned going in, or how did that come to be? Really appreciate you calling it <laughs> claustrophobic <laughs> and oppressive are two incredible reviews of that film. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's only a positive when it comes to horror, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> call, say that about anybody else's yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know historically how optimistic the word oppressive right. is, but um, <laughs> I give a lot of credit to Jack Leahy. He's a director of photography in Halifax and Popsy was the first thing that we worked on together and Jack's incredible. I have uh, worked with Jack on everything since. He also shot Pub Crawl. He's locked in for season two as well, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I wanted to give that feeling like the, like I mentioned, um, Nightmares and Dreamscapes came out in 1993. So I wanted to somehow show that era without beating you over the head of like, oh, let's show an old bulky cell phone or whatever <laughs> 1993 would look like. So we decided on that VHS like 4.3. It's more of like a 1.1 to 1 ratio. And we always liked that. And then, of course, the lighthouse came out and now everything is shot that way. <laughs> but, uh, we, were, we were pretty stoked about it at the time, which is still cool. And like, of course, it absolutely worked for... So even like the wides, if you want to call them wides because of the ratio, like we were shooting from the back of the van towards Rob and Avery. And even that, it's like, why can't I see any windows kind of thing? And that was like the intrusive feeling claustrophobia that we were going for of like, <laughs> basically this kid's screwed. Like yeah. it's over for him. Of course, without going like super wide or anything like that, it was it was also able to give that like 90s VHS tape or like that box TV that we had growing up where I used yeah. to watch things like Scream or Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever on. It kind of lended itself to that with subtext as opposed to using like a cell phone from Saved by the Bell for Zach Morris would answer kind of thing, uh, yeah. which is cool and fine, but it just like wasn't what we were necessarily going for. Jack was like instrumental on making that film look like locked off the way that it does. I'm really proud of the credit sequence that, in that film. I was that just makes about to feel. say that's... <laughs> It, you know what's hilarious is, man, like you make a short film that you're really proud of and people are like, how about those credits? And I'm like, thanks, <laughs> but <laughs> did you watch the film too? Um, but yeah. Well, that but moment yeah, the feels credit, so credit different. sequence was something that I wanted just people to like sit with and be sketched out by, basically. <laughs> what was the actor who played Popsy pulling out and throwing into the street? Well, it was funny because that night we were there and I had a script supervisor and her just doing her job came up to me and was like, John, no one knows what this shit is. Like, <laughs> no one's going to know. Why aren't we getting coverage of this last scene? And I was just like, please trust me. It was my most director moment of being like, trust me, I have a vision. This will be weird. It'll make people uncomfortable. That's all I'm going for. Everybody kept being like, John, we don't even see it on the monitor, like what they're throwing out. 
And it was like, well, imagine it on a 60 foot screen and like, we'll see it. It's fine. And it's just like Rob's innards and like his throat and like all this weird shit. Yeah. And then leaving it locked off on the, on the credits rolling, that was always going to be the plan. But I had, I, I had like a playlist of like 12 songs that I thought would be like playing during the credits. And I tried one, it didn't quite work. And I tried another one, it didn't quite work. Like very like against the genre type things that would just leave people feeling uncomfortable or weird or like tugging at their pearls or whatever. (laughs) But then we just watched it with the crickets and the birds and the dogs in the background. And I was like, I think that's just it. Like, I think Mm -hmm. we just leave it. No music, no soundtrack. Let people just stew in it. Let Popsy and the kid walk off into the distance. Like. let them have their moment like walking off into the into the sunset kind of thing that is something the credit sequence is something that i get the most amount of feedback on and the most amount of uh, compliments on which i'm happy i'm stoked (laughs) with because it is obviously part of the film it's just kind of ironic when people say like how about those credits though it's like yeah thank you (laughs) that's a powerful thing to leave people with i for for me once that moment started happening I my eyes just progressively got wider as I was like, oh, we're really doing this. This yeah. is really oh, what's happening. Yes. I was just I was so yeah. into it. I'm obsessed. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'm obsessed with it, but recency effect is huge for me. So like the things that people are going to remember is like, what's the last thing before credit roll, the credits roll? So in cahoots, Rob has a great line about says something like couldn't ima- like, can you imagine being a waiter? which is like such an ironic (laughs) thing for his character saying cahoots. And then it's like, boom. And the song comes in, uh, Missy, you see her floating. And then it's like, boom, we cut to credits when the beat drops and popsy. It's like kind of way more of a slow burn of obviously that credit sequence running. We even did it in pub crawl where it's like, they recommend the bar and then it's like a nice cheers moment. And someone says something like, positive about the next bar that they're sending rob to so like i i just find that that moment is an incredible opportunity to to leave people feeling how you want them to feel but the film that they just watched i mean i'm i'm not uh i'm not ignorant to the fact that that's harder to do with a feature because there is like a denouement and all that but i love leaving a reveal until the very last Mm -hmm. moment if we can or just that it's the first second and third act are all great but what do you really want people to be talking about on the drive home from the movie theater that's what i'm going for oh sure it's so cool to especially with an adaptation you you don't know what to expect you don't know if it's just going to be like okay we were super faithful and maybe that's kind of boring sometimes you don't know what the director and what the crew is about but when you can see that personal touch and their stamp the thing that makes it truly their work too I just think that's so cool and I appreciate that about adaptations and I'm curious like what else inspired you to make some of the other changes you did I think that the biggest thing that some some diehards Stephen King fans are upset about which is completely fine and fair and legitimate and I would feel this way about other stories if I saw an adaptation and they left something out is uh Sheridan's background and his kind of exposition as to why he is abducting a child, I think is important from a literary standpoint. Mm -hmm. I didn't find it necessary from a film standpoint. I thought it was creepier if we had 
Rob, like a big bulky guy. We gave him weird glasses and we stained his teeth. And it's like, maybe like, I think that's enough as opposed to showing like him having gambling debts. It's like, I don't need to feel bad for this guy. I don't need, I don't need to give empathy to a guy in this 12 minute long short. Mm -hmm. It's like what you talked about, the claustrophobia of the frame. It was enough that it was just like, let's cut, let's trim all the fat that we need to from this story. And why can't we just open on Rob changing the license plate? And then all of a sudden it's the next day and he's driving and it's intercut with a mall scene and there's all these children and whatever. I just felt that in like, obviously no disrespect to the (laughs) original source, but to translate it to film, I just didn't want to complicate anything Mm -hmm. and introduce characters that we're never going to see again. That was another big thing. It's like, we could show him in a meeting with this unknown bad guy, but like, why don't we just make Rob playing Sheridan? Why don't we don't, why don't we just make him the bad guy? Cause he is period. And if you want to have empathy for the guy, let's save it for the final moments of him getting his throat ripped <laughs> out on a 60 foot screen kind of thing, <laughs> you know? And then like, let's just sit in that moment. And if you feel empathy for him, cool. That's another thing about this story is like, who's the bad guy right really and that was something that i love in film where good people are never as good as you really think Mm -hmm. they are sorry this isn't in film this is in real life bad people are never as bad as you think they are and good people are never as good as you think they are and i've become pretty like hooked to that with anything that i write and like cahoots is a good example of it missy is a good example of it where it's just like why don't we just leave that up to the audience to decide that do you feel bad for this guy? Addiction, sure, that would have been fine to add in. But just the way that we wanted to translate this to film, we thought that this was the best way to do it. That makes total sense because with with the written word, you can guide the audience more without it seeming like you are hitting them over the head and dragging them where you want them to go. And mm-hmm. I, you know, you said that might upset some people, the change, but I think most people if they love film, they understand and appreciate and respect that. And Stephen King seems like the kind of guy who realizes all of his words do not translate well, like any anything anybody writes to film, unless they're writing it not for a book, but to say, this is going to be a movie. This is going to be an adaptation. So I, yeah, I think I, it's awesome. I think about that with Popsy. It's like, yeah, his translation was like, he's nervous. Sheridan doesn't want to be there. He knows he's fucked up. He knows he has a gambling addiction. It's ruined his life. And now they're telling him to steal, abduct a child. And it's like, that's all great. But like, other than showing a character on screen, like sweating and pulling his collar, it's mm-hmm. like, is that <laughs> is that what we're going for? I don't know. Sheridan didn't need that. No, yeah. I think that was a great choice. It it would have, oh, I think you. it would have destroyed the pace. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah and, and most, um, I've done interviews before where people are like, oh, stick to the source. It's like, of course, I understand that. I respect it more than anyone. I promise you. (laughs) And then as soon as I explain why it happened, they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They've seen other (laughs) adaptations where they they do use the gambling addiction, and it just doesn't quite. It's like biting off more than you can chew a little bit with a short Mm -hmm. film. The thing that kind of, I think, helped me at least, probably us, understand that really well was when we covered Christine, when we watched 
John Carpenter's adaptation of that. It's like, oh, it's it's Carpenter. And you had those Carpenter beats right. and that feel. And when you see his name attached to that, you expect certain things. And so I absolutely make it your own while still obviously respecting the source material. You can do both for yeah, sure. Yeah, 100%. I think so. And like, I think that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, the classic example is like, look at The Shining. Like anybody who has read the book and then seen Kubrick's film, which they are both genius, but you couldn't do some things from the book that it wouldn't translate to film well at all. And even if that film was made in the 70s, it's like to this day, 40 years later, probably would have made it like it wouldn't have uh, wouldn't become as as timeless as it is now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be like super defending my position on how I told the story of Popsy, but that was just my no, that that's okay yeah. we'll we'll defend it yeah right <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah i'm built i'm trying to build an army here <laughs> i wanted to ask about the the choice for the character design of popsy because in the story he is very vampiric he's very monstrous mm-hmm. and you chose a much different angle so what was the the inspiration behind that I love, again, coming back to that good people aren't as great as you think and bad people aren't as terrible as you think. I thought that it was cooler to see like the big noises and the crashing and the landing on the roof and all that. Like that is kind of like folklore, which is great. But Stephen King also said that sometimes an axe murderer will still help an old lady across the street. Like, and I love that quote. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I love that because it's so... It's true. And then sometimes uh, Santa Claus won't help an old woman across the street. Like it's the same thing on either end of the extremes. And I just thought that putting him in a suit and only seeing him that way with the literal, obviously we put him in like the blackout eye contacts. Like there is still that foray into what he is, Mm -hmm. that that was enough. And my big thing that I wanted to leave people with was like, yeah, next time you see a white van, I kind of want you to think twice about it. Next time you see a guy in an open collar shirt, I want you to think twice about it. Next time you see a child standing alone in a mall, I want you to think twice about it. Not that you're thinking to like abduct the kid <laughs> in the mall. But, but you're like, thinking that kid might be a monster. Well, don't trust anybody, yeah. basically. Yeah, don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just stay home. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, motto of 2020. Just stay <laughs> home. But it's like, Honestly, though, it's I find that creepier. Like I find a lot of his work, Salem's Lot, for example, is like nothing is as it seems, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Cujo is a dog. The Shining is a, ho- a beautiful hotel. He is so good at that. And um, it comes back to the question of like inspirations for the film. I tried to draw inspirations from like interviews he's done, quotes that he has mm-hmm. said, like the axe murder across the street kind of thing, comedic moments and movies that he likes. Like I was trying to pull from everything to make it a very Stephen King universe, not Stephen King universe that we see on TV and HBO right now, but Stephen King, the writer, the person type universe. And that's, uh, that's really what I was going for. And I think that growing up in New Brunswick and being an hour and a half from the main border and three hours from Bangor where he grew up, we are, New Brunswick and Maine is it's an extension of itself It's the same landscape and just trying to give that weird everything is just like a couple degrees 
off. And that's mm-hmm. where the creepiness is. Yeah. That certainly played into how we uh, how we dress Popsy. So it's probably obvious by now that we really enjoyed it. But what has response been from other people, people who've seen it in the festivals and people who worked on it? Uh, it has been nothing but positive, which is amazing. I'm not pretending that I have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes or anything. But <laughs> what we heard after Finn was incredible, and that was two years ago. And then just up to two months ago, we won Best Editing at a film festival in Berlin. Uh, we did the Stephen King Rules Film Festival, which mm-hmm. I will say was one of the best run film festivals that I've ever been a part of. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a lot of film festivals up to this point. Everything has been super positive, And like we played, we were the last film on Saturday night at Stephen King Rules, which was always a good slot to be in at mm-hmm. a film festival. It has been nothing but positive. Um, a big takeaway for me is that the crew is... I'm still hearing from them that they're very proud of the film, which is like, I don't know what else you can ask for from people when they work on something and you're collaborating with them, that they're proud of the final product. That's not the be all end all necessarily, but to hear that people are proud of their work, that's important to me because that's something that I try to do every day that I show up on set and every day that I'm writing at home kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. With everything you've done, if you could give a piece of advice to any future Dollar Baby filmmakers, what would that advice be? It's not often that I'm asked for advice, <laughs> but <laughs> this is another time that Rob Rob will be texting me like, oh my God, they asked you for advice. Should we send them to your mom? <laughs> yeah, I, get, I can get Anne down here. Um, <laughs> advice? If you're going to do it, do it. Like I think that the line between... I've spoken to so many people who say like, you know, I like to write. I have a movie idea. It's like, great, write it. That's the only difference. <laughs> like, There's <laughs> nothing. I went to school for it, but it's, it's pretty slim. The things that I, my formal education gave me for filmmaking. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? If you want to do it, do it. But I also want to say like, you gotta, you have to love the source material. You have to be a fan of Mr. King and what he has created because if you don't respect it, then it's like, then what are we all doing here? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Um, don't waste his time. Don't waste your own time. Don't make films that you aren't 100% passionate about. Um, and I think that that goes for any kind of filmmaking, but to Dollar Babies, it's an incredible opportunity. Don't waste it. And if you really, it's, it is like diving headfirst into a pool for sure because it mm-hmm. gets you exposed to this universe which is like mass the king universe Mm -hmm. and um but yeah just uh i i'm very i'm defensive in that perspective of just being like you gotta love it yeah you gotta love it like don't don't the source material is so good that if you don't feel like you can do it justice or you're just doing it to do it then fuck off (laughs) that's perfect (laughs) you can't fake that either yeah the best thing you get when you phone it in is like a pretty, you know, what I think of as Hollywood popcorn movie that yeah. all general audiences enjoy, but it doesn't have that heart to it. And it's just boring. <laughs> yeah. You're never going to be yeah. anybody's favorite movie by phoning it in. Yeah. And that's that's completely fair. And it's funny that like I love a good Hollywood popcorn movie i love a good reality not even a good reality show i love a bad reality <laughs> show. like i i enjoy content 
a hundred percent. Like I am down for it as an audience member. Like I love, I love below deck. I love Vanderpump <laughs> rules. I love white Lotus. I love whatever. Like I'm not a, I'm not a snob when it comes to being an audience member, but I am like the art of film and the art of cinema I am very defensive of mm-hmm. and I know that it has become with the invention of cell phones and cell phone video everybody can do it which is great it's very accessible which is amazing and I applaud that but at the same time it's like you have to respect it mm-hmm. you have to respect the story respect the man himself who sat down at a typewriter in the 70s or 80s or 90s and pounded this thing out it's an incredible opportunity, but I just think that people need to imagine pitching it to him face to face. Like, what would you say? Don't half-ass it. <laughs> yeah. That's like, it's tough. It's like, imagine if he was standing over your shoulder when you're writing the adaptation. I guess that would be, that would be the place. Imagine, <laughs> yeah. imagine he's standing over your shoulder the whole way through. <laughs> that that's I would it. just be yeah, too distracted to actually yeah. do anything. <laughs> Yeah. And like, if that, if that scares you, then don't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, you, you already let it slip that there's a season two of pub crawl coming, which I'm very excited about, but, uh, what else interests you right now? What's next for you right now? I'm working on a documentary about the, I don't know if you guys are following the news in Canada right now, but there are some atrocities from the history of Canada that are coming to light right now specifically between our indigenous first nations and how they've been treated by the canadian government for the last 400 years i started a documentary back in january it's a legacy piece on chief roger augustine who's uh he was a chief and he's been in local politics for the last 46 years currently he's a regional chief and uh we're doing a documentary on him and how basically the treatment of indigenous people in canada has shaped his life and his career so that's something that i'm incredibly passionate about yeah so that's what i'm working on right now it's supposed to go january to june and now we're closing in on mid-august but because what has come to light and the bodies that have been found at the residential schools the documentary has really taken on a bit of a life of its own and it's something that i'm incredibly proud of and something that it's a project that i literally can't wait for people to see because I think that it's an important step in Canadian history. It's a Canadian story. And uh, it's something that kind of landed on my lap and has just become bigger then. And uh, I can't wait for people to become educated and hear these stories that I've heard throughout filming. It's, uh, it's heavy. And there's like literal stakes in this one. And it's fun to make the popsies and the missies and the cahoots. Mm-hmm. Like that's amazing. But then when you start Speaking to people who are residential school survivors and Indian day school survivors, you realize that this is kind of what the medium was created for, mm-hmm. was to amplify these voices. So that's something that I'm very excited about and really uh, trying to educate myself on right now. That, that sounds is, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> where can <laughs> where can we and where can our listeners keep up with that and and what you're working on and follow you and support you in that? Yeah, so uh, my company, Popular Demand Pictures, we have an Instagram, a Facebook, and a Twitter. It's all at Popular Demand Pictures. And I'm on Instagram as Johnny Mann, all one word, no H. Yeah, those would be those would be the places if you guys want to keep up on all things Popsy, 
all things untitled documentary 2022 <laughs> as well. <laughs> oh man, that's that's so amazing. Uh, John, thank you so much once again for taking the time to talk to us. It has been a, just a great pleasure getting to chat with you. Oh, guys, no sweat. Hey, and thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you to Mr. King for giving me this opportunity to be able to have these kind of conversations because they're the best kind of conversations is talking about good movies and good books. And he's responsible for so many of them. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode. For CM Alexander and John Mann, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, if you're going to do it, do it. Don't waste it. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to our interview with John Mann, Dollar Baby Director of Popsy. Please follow John's work at Popular Demand Pictures on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or you can follow him on Instagram at Johnny Mann. That's J O N N Y M A N N. You can also visit his website, johnnyman.com. And if you get a chance to view his work, do it. It is really, really good. As always, here is the haiku for Popsy from the Stephen King Rules Dollar Baby Film Festival. Don't prey on this boy, lest you become his dinner. Ignorance is guilt. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.